Hello, and thanks for listening to this episode of Veral Voices. My name is Tani Alvarez, and I'm a partner in Veral Dana's Labor and Employment Practice Group. This podcast is the 10th in a series entitled HR Law 101, Understanding the HR Basics. Whether you're a startup company, new to human resources, or simply need a refresher, the purpose of this podcast is to provide you with the building blocks necessary to successfully achieve a healthy and compliant employer-employee relationship. Today, we will be diving into the Federal Family and Medical Leave Act. This is a two-part discussion. In the first episode, we will be discussing the FMLA generally, who it is applicable to, what rights an employee has, and how different terms in the statute are defined. In FMLA Part 2, or the 11th episode of the HR Law 101 series, we will be discussing the operational aspects of the statute itself, what notice needs to be provided to employees when. With this background, let's get started. The Family and Medical Leave Act gives covered employees the right to take an unpaid leave of absence from work for medical or family obligations without jeopardizing their employment. Employers may face questions from employees about whether they are covered, how much leave must be given, and under what circumstances leave is permitted. It is important to remember that state law obligations may also be in effect. While this podcast is only covering the federal FMLA, employee rights under state laws may be vaster and more encompassing, and accordingly, the employer should follow the statute that provides the most benefits to the employee. Specifically, the FMLA is a federal statute that requires covered employers to offer unpaid family or medical leave to eligible employees for certain qualifying reasons. In most situations, FMLA leave extends up to 12 weeks during an employer-specified 12-month period, but up to 26 weeks of leave are available if an individual is caring for a military family member. Like all statutes, however, there are some exceptions for leave, including leave for airline flight crew employees, qualifying exigency leave as a result of military service or deployment, and for individuals who are identified as key employees. That term key employees is specifically defined. We are not going to get into the details concerning these exceptions during today's podcast, but it is important to know that they exist. First, let's discuss what employers the FMLA covers. Specifically, the statute applies to private employers if they have 50 or more employees on its payroll for 20 or more calendar work weeks. Those 20 or more calendar work weeks do not have to be consecutive. They can be in either the current or preceding calendar year. Under some circumstances, an employer that does not otherwise meet the 50-employee threshold may be covered by the FMLA when the corporate structure or employment relationship requires counting a broader group of employees towards the 50-person threshold. Those situations, however, are outside the scope of today's podcast, but include situations where there is a single integrated employer or a joint employment argument could be made. Next, let's discuss the qualifications an individual must have to be considered a covered employee under the FMLA. The term employee under the FMLA has the same meaning as it has under the Fair Labor Standards Act, 
which defines employee very broadly as any individual employed by an employer. To be eligible for leave under the Family and Medical Leave Act, an employee must have worked for a covered employer for at least 12 months. Those 12 months need not be consecutive, and they must have also worked at least 1,250 hours during the 12 months before the first day of the requested leave. The FMLA does not, however, apply to an otherwise eligible employee if the employee works at a facility with fewer than 50 employees and the employer has fewer than a total of 50 employees within 75 road miles of the facility that the employee works at. Accordingly, when we're determining 75 miles, it's not as the crow flies, but by road. In order to determine whether the employee meets the hours and length of service requirement, we're going to have to look back over the course of the last seven years in some cases. Because the 12 months do not need to be consecutive, if you have an employee who worked for you for nine months, quit, and then returned for a full three months, this could satisfy the 12-month requirement. Further, time spent fulfilling an employee's USERA covered military service obligation is counted towards the employee's 1,250-hour and 12-month requirement. Recall in our previous episode, HR Law 101, Episode 9, we discussed USERA specifically, and this provides further evidence of how the statute itself interacts with other federal-mandated leave statutes. An employee may apply time that was spent on paid or unpaid leave towards the 12-month requirement if the employee has remained on the employer's payroll and is receiving other benefits. Further, an employee who is not eligible for FMLA leave at the beginning of the time in which they were seeking leave may begin FMLA-covered leave during that leave period once eligibility requirements have been met. If you are a covered employer and the employee meets the qualifications we just discussed, the employee may be entitled to take FMLA leave for the following reasons. First, leave related to pregnancy, birth, adoption, and foster care. Second, leave to care for family members with serious health conditions. Third, leave to care for the individual's own personal serious health conditions. Fourth, military qualifying exigency leave. And fifth, leave to care for a family member in the military with an injury or illness. Let's dive in a bit deeper as to what each of these terms means. First, let's discuss leave for the birth of a child. Employees may take up to 12 weeks of leave for the birth of their child. The 12-month period in which leave is authorized expires 12 months from the date the child is born. If the birth is to a husband and wife who are employed by the same employer and who are both eligible for FMLA leave, the total combined leave authorized for both spouses is 12 weeks total during the 12-month period. However, if the newborn has a serious health condition, the husband and wife employed by the same employer may each take the full 12 weeks of leave to care for a child. When we discuss leave for pregnancy, an expectant mother may take FMLA leave before childbirth for prenatal care 
or if her condition makes her unable to work. The spouse of an expectant mother may take FMLA leave before childbirth to care for the expectant spouse if the expectant spouse is incapacitated. This would include providing psychological comfort and reassurance. But this kind of leave does not extend to non-spouses, such as fiancés, boyfriends, girlfriends, or biological fathers of the children with no relationship to the expectant mother. Recall as well that the FMLA does not live within a vacuum, and that other statutes may also play a role in determining the amount and timing of other accommodations or needs for leave, including the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Pregnancy Discrimination Act. Employees may also take up to 12 weeks of leave if a son or daughter is placed with them for adoption or foster care, either before or after that placement. The 12-month period in which leave is authorized expires 12 months from the date the child is first placed with the parent. If placement is to a husband and wife who are employed by the same employer and who are both eligible for FMLA leave, the total combined leave authorized for both spouses is 12 weeks during that 12-month period. Under the FMLA, adoption is a legal and permanent assumption of the responsibilities of raising a child on one's own. The adoption agency or service in question is irrelevant to determining FMLA leave eligibility. Foster care is 24-hour care for children away from and in place of their parents or guardians that is arranged through arrangements with the state. Foster care may involve placement with another family member if it is coordinated through agreements with the state. Outside of the addition of a child to an employee's life, an employee may also be entitled to FMLA leave to care for a family member with a serious health condition. Under the Family and Medical Leave Act, a family member is limited to spouses, sons, daughters, parents, including those who are acting as the employee's parents when the employee was a child, known as in loco parentis, and a child for whom an employee stands in locus parentis. What it means to quote-unquote care for the needs of a family member is broad and includes both physical and psychological care. It includes situations in which the individual cannot attend to personal basic needs such as medical, hygienic, nutritional, safety, and transportation to a doctor's office as well as the employee's assistance that may be required to substitute for others who normally care for the individual. What, however, qualifies as a serious health condition? That's the next question, and the answer is broad, and it provides protected leave both for the individual employee as well as for the individual employee's family members. A serious health condition is an illness, injury, impairment, or a physical or mental condition that involves any one of the following. An overnight stay in a hospital, hospice, or residential care facility, or any subsequent treatment in connection with the inpatient care. It could also be any period of incapacity, including an inability to perform regular daily activities for more than three consecutive full calendar days, and any later treatment or incapacity required or caused by the same condition that also involves either two treatments, with a treatment defined as an in-person visit to a healthcare provider, or 
one treatment by a healthcare provider who prescribes continuing care. It could also be a periodic incapacity because of a pregnancy, including morning sickness or prenatal care. A serious health condition also includes chronic conditions such as migraines, depression, or diabetes if it requires at least two visits per year to a healthcare provider for treatment and continues over an extended period and causes episodic incapacity. Permanent or long-term incapacity as a result of a condition of which the treatment may not be effective, such as Alzheimer's disease, would also qualify as a serious health condition. As could conditions that require absence to receive multiple treatments for restorative surgery after an accident or injury, or a condition that, if medical intervention or treatment is not received, could cause a period of incapacity of more than three consecutive calendar days, such as cancer. Whew, like I said, the definition of a serious health condition is broad. The terms healthcare provider and continuing treatment have definitions that are outside of the scope of this basic overview of the statute, but it's important to understand that regulations do exist that further define what these terms include. Next, recall that the FMLA also authorizes leave for a qualifying exigency arising out of a covered active duty or call to covered active duty or notice of an impending call or order to cover active duty of an employee, spouse, son, daughter, or parent who is in the armed forces or reserves. In addition, Effective in March of 2013, the Department of Labor also has provided that a new kind of exigency leave is available to care for the parents of a military member if the parent is incapable of self-care. Eligible employees generally are entitled to up to 12 weeks of leave for qualifying exigency. Shorter spans of leave are available for exigency leave relating to the military member's short notice of military deployment and rest and recuperation leave. Similar but distinct, the FMLA also authorizes leave for family members to care for a covered member of the military who suffered a serious injury or illness. Eligible employees are entitled to up to 26 weeks of leave, so 14 weeks more than other forms of FMLA leave. Now that we have identified what employers are regulated by the statute, who the statute applies to, and the reasons why FMLA leave can be taken, it is now important to understand how we identify the 12-month leave period. Leave is authorized in 12 or 26-week increments over a 12-month period. Generally, the 12-month period may be any 12-month period selected by the employer including the calendar year, the year beginning on the employee's anniversary of date of hire, the fiscal year, or a rolling 12-month period. Generally, use of the rolling period minimizes the total leave taken and avoids concerns that the employee will take 12 weeks at the end of one calendar year in addition to 12 weeks at the beginning of a second calendar year. It is important to have a policy that discusses how you'll calculate the leave period, as if an employer does not designate the means of calculating the leave, the court will choose the period of time that is most beneficial to the employee. While an employee may take up to 12 weeks of unpaid leave, there is the next question as to how we determine the increments of leave. The Family and Medical Leave Act leave is commonly taken in full-day increments. 
However, employees may take leave intermittently, such as taking leave in multiple blocks of time because of a single qualifying reason, or on a reduced leave schedule, which would involve change in the employee's work schedule, meaning shorter hours per day or per week, if the leave is for a chronic serious health condition of the employee or the employee's covered family member that is best accommodated through intermittent or reduced schedule leave. Further, it could be related to a planned or expected medical treatment of a serious health condition of the employee or the employee's covered family member that is best accommodated through intermittent or reduced schedule leave. A qualifying exigency related to a covered military service would also be included in this intermittent or reduced schedule leave. Further, medical necessity related to a covered service member's serious injury or illness could also qualify. And finally, if the leave is for the birth, adoption, or foster care of a child, intermittent leave can be taken, but only with the employer's consent. If the mother or child has a serious health condition, however, employer consent is not required. Intermittent or reduced schedule leave is not available for voluntary treatments or procedures. It is only permitted if the employee can perform the essential functions of the job during working time. Employees seeking intermittent or reduced schedule leave for a planned medical treatment must make a reasonable effort to schedule treatment in a way that does not disrupt the employer's business operations. There is no cap, however, on how much of an employee's available FMLA leave can be taken as intermittent or on a reduced schedule leave. If the need for intermittent leave interferes with the employee's day-to-day work, employers may transfer employees taking intermittent or reduced schedule leave to a similar position with equivalent pay and benefits to better accommodate the need for leave. But an employer may not require employees to perform work during the portion of the workday when they are on FMLA leave. Alternatively, an employer may modify an existing job in such a way that the employee's scheduling needs are accommodated. In doing this, however, one must be mindful of the ADA and the essential functions of the position. Intermittent leave creates some interesting issues from a wage and hour standpoint as well, especially with regard to exempt employees. For FLSA-exempt employees, the employer may quote-unquote dock an employee's pay for the hours these employees are on FMLA leave without affecting the exempt status. State law, however, may impose greater restrictions on deductions from wages and consequences for violations may be severe. Accordingly, it's important to check state law before taking any action with regards to docking time for exempt employees who are not at work. Well, this wraps up this episode of Veral Voices. Stay tuned for the next installment of the HR 101 series where we'll wrap up our discussion of the Family Medical Leave Act and discuss operationally how this standard plays out using real-life situations. Thank you so much for listening to Veral Voices. If you have any questions regarding any of the information we talked about today, please don't hesitate to reach out to me by phone at 207 207- Two five three four five two two, or by email at t alvarez at veraldana.com. 
Also, remember that you can get loads of additional free information from Veral Dana concerning HR best practices through our blog at hrlawupdate.com or through other podcast installments. Have a great day. Feral Voices is a podcast series produced and recorded by the law firm Feral Dana LLP. Our content is intended to inform and hopefully sometimes to entertain. It is not intended as legal advice or legal opinion. While we hope these podcasts help you get to know us a little better, they do not create an attorney-client relationship. To contact us, find us online at veraldana.com.